Chapter 65 of Can You Forgive Her? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vincent Tapia. Can You Forgive Her? by Anthony Trollope. Chapter 65 The First Kiss. Hush, said the widow. There's a carriage coming on the road, close to us. Mrs. Greenow, as she spoke these words, drew back from the captain's arms before the first kiss of permitted ante-nuptial love had been exchanged. The scene was on the high road from Shap to Vavasor, and as she was still dressed in all the somber habiliments of early widowhood, and as neither he nor his sweetheart were under forty, perhaps it was as well that they were not caught towing together in so very public a place but they were only just in time to escape the vigilant eyes of a new visitor. Round the corner of the road, at a sharp trot, came the Shap post-horse, with the Shap gig behind him, the same gig which had brought Belfield to Vavasor on the previous day, and seated in the gig, looming large, with his eyes wide awake to everything round him, was Mr. Cheesacre. It was a terrible sight to the eyes of Captain Belfield, and by no means welcome to those of Mrs. Greenow. As regarded her, her annoyance had chiefly reference to her two nieces, and especially to Alice. How was she to account for this second lover? Kate, of course, knew all about it. But how could Alice be made to understand that she, Mrs. Greenow, was not to blame? That she had, in sober truth, told this ardent gentleman that there was no hope for him. And even as to Kate, Kate, whom her aunt had absurdly chosen to regard as the object of Mr. Cheesacre's pursuit, what sort of a welcome would she extend to the owner of Oily Mead? Before the wheels had stopped, Mrs. Greenow had begun to reflect whether it might be possible that she should send Mr. Cheesacre back without letting him go on to the hall. But if Mrs. Greenow was dismayed, what were the feelings of the captain? For he was aware that Cheesacre knew that of him which he had not told. How ardently did he now wish that he had sailed near to the truth in giving the schedule of his debts to Mrs. Greenow. That man's wanted by the police, said Cheesacre, speaking while the gig was still in motion. He's wanted by the police, Mrs. Greenow. And in his ardor he stood up in the gig and pointed at Belfield. Then the gig stopped suddenly, and he fell back into his seat in his effort to prevent his falling forward. He's wanted by the police, he shouted out again, as soon as he was able to recover his voice. Mrs. Greenow turned pale beneath the widow's veil which she had dropped. What might not her captain have done? He might have procured things to be sent to him out of shops on false pretenses, or urged on by want or famine. He might have committed forgery? Oh, my, she said, and dropped her hand from his arm which she had taken. It's false, said Belfield. It's true, said Cheesacre. I'll indict you for slander, my friend, said Belfield. Pay me the money you owe me, said Cheesacre. You're a swindler. Mrs. Greenow cared little as to her lover being a swindler in Mr. Cheesacre's estimation. Such accusations from him she had learned before, but she did care very much as to this mission of the police against her captain. If that were true, the captain could be her captain no longer. "'What is this I hear, Captain Belfield?' she said. "'It's a lie and a slander. He merely wants to make a quarrel between us. What police are after me, Mr. Cheesacre?' 
It's the police or the sheriff's officer or something of the kind, said Cheesacre. Oh, the sheriff's officer, exclaimed Mrs. Greenow, in a tone of voice which showed how great had been her relief. Mr. Cheesacre, you shouldn't come out and say such things. You shouldn't, indeed. Sheriff's officers can be paid, and there's an end of them. I'll indict him for the libel. I will, as sure as I'm alive, said Belfield. Nonsense, said the widow. Don't you make a fool of yourself. When men can't pay their way, they must put up with having things like that said of them. Mr. Cheesacre, where were you going? I was going to Vavasor Hall, on purpose to caution you. It's too late, said Mrs. Greenow, sinking behind her veil. Why, you haven't been, and married him since yesterday. He only had twenty-four hours start of me, I know. Or perhaps you had done it clandestine in Norwich. Oh, my, Mrs. Greenow. He got out of the gig, and the three walked back toward the hall together, while the dr boy drove on with Mr. Cheesacre's carpet-bag. I hardly knew, said Mrs. Greenow, whether we can welcome you. There are other visitors, and the house is full. I'm not one to intrude where I'm not wanted. You may be sure of that. If I can't get my supper for love, I can get at for money. There's more than some people can say. I wonder when you're going to pay me and what you owe me, Lieutenant Belfield. Nevertheless, the widow had contrived to reconcile the two men before she reached the hall. They had actually shaken hands, and the lamb Cheeseacre had agreed to lie down with the wolf. Belfield. Cheesacre, moreover, had contrived to whisper into the widow's ears the true extent of his errand into Westmoreland. This, however, he did not do altogether in Belfield's hearing. When Mrs. Greenow ascertained that there was something to be said, she made no scruple in sending her betrothed away from her. "'You won't throw a fellow over, will you now?' whispered Belfield into her ear as she went. She merely frowned at him and bade him begone, so that the walk which Mrs. Greenow began with one lover she ended in company with the other. Belfield, who was sent on to the house, found Alice and Kate surveying the newly arrived carpet-bag. "'He knows, un,' said the boy, who had driven the gig, pointing to the captain. "'It belongs to your old friend, Mr. Cheesacre,' said Belfield to Kate. "'And he has come too?' said Kate. The captain shrugged his shoulders and admitted it was hard. "'And it's not the slightest use,' he said. "'Not the least in the world. "'He never had a chance in that quarter.' "'Not enough of the rocks and valleys about him, "'was there, Captain Belfield,' said Kate. "'But Captain Belfield understood nothing "'about the rocks and valleys, "'though he was regarded by certain eyes "'as bo being both a rock and a valley himself. "'In the meantime, Cheesacre was telling his story. "'He first asked in a melancholy tone "'whether it was really necessary "'that he must abandon all his hopes.' He wasn't going to say anything against the captain, he said, if things were really fixed. He never begrudged any man his chance. Things are really fixed, said Mrs. Greenow. He could, however, not keep himself from hinting that Oilymead was a substantial home, and that Belfield had not as much as a straw mattress to lie upon. In answer to this, Mrs. Greenow told him that there was so much more reason why someone should provide the poor man with a mattress. If you look at it in that light, of course it's true, said Cheesacre. Mrs. Greenow told him that she did look at it in that light. Then I've done about that, said Cheesacre. As to the little bit of money he owes me, 
I must give him his time about it, I suppose, Mrs. Greenow assured him that it should be paid as soon as possible after the nuptial benediction had been said over them. She offered, indeed, to pay it at once, if he was in the distress for it. But he answered contemptuously that he never was in distress for money. He liked to have his own. That was all. After this, he did not get away to his next subject quite so easily as he wished, and it must be admitted that there was a difficulty, and he could not have Mrs. Greenow, he would be content to put up with Kate for his wife. That was his next subject. Rumors as to the old squire's will had no doubt reached him, and he was now willing to take advantage of that assistance which Mrs. Greenow had before offered him in this matter. The time had come in which he ought to marry, of that he was aware. He had told many of his friends in Norfolk that Kate Vavasor had thrown herself at his head, and very probably he had thought it true. In answer to all his love speeches to herself, the aunt had always told him what an excellent wife her niece would make him. So now he had come to Westmoreland with the second string to his bow. "'You know you put it into my head your own self,' pleaded Mr. Cheesacre. "'Didn't you now?' "'But things are so different since that,' said the widow. "'How different? I ain't different.' There's oily me just where it always was, and the owner of it didn't owe a shilling to any man. How are things different? My niece has inherited property. And is that to make a change? Oh, Mrs. Greenow, who would have thought to find you mercenary like that? Inherited property. Is she going to fling a man over because of that? Mrs. Greenow endeavored to explain to him that her niece could hardly be said to have flung over him and at last pretended to become quite angry when he attempted to assert his position. Why, Mr. Cheesacre, I am quite sure she never gave you a word of encouragement in her life. But you always told me I might have her for the asking. And now I tell you that you mayn't. It's of no use your going on there to ask her, for she will only send you away with an answer you won't like. Look here, Mr. Cheesacre, you want to get married, and it's quite time you should. There's my dear friend Charlie Fairstairs. How could you get a better wife than Charlie? Charlie Fairstairs, said Cheesacre, turning his nose up in disgust. She hasn't got a penny, nor any one belonging to her. The man who marries her will have to find the money for the smock she stands up in. Who's mercenary now, Mr. Cheesacre? Do you go home and think of it? And if you'll marry Charlie, I'll go to your wedding? You shan't be ashamed of her clothing. I'll see to that. They were now close to the gate, and Cheesacre paused before he entered. Do you think there's no chance at all for me, then, he said? I know there's none. I've heard her speak about it. Somebody else, perhaps, is the happy man. I can't say anything about that, but I know that she wouldn't take you. I like farming, you know, but she doesn't. I might give that up, said Cheesacre readily at any rate, for a time. No, 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 it would do no good. Believe me, my friend, that is of no use. He still paused at the gate. I don't see what's the use of my going in, said he. To this she made him no answer. There's a pride about me, he continued, that I don't choose to go where I'm not wanted. I can't tell you, Mr. Cheesacre, that you are wanted in that light, certainly. Then I'll go. Perhaps you'll be so good as to tell the boy with the gig to come after me. That's six pound ten it will have to cost me to come here and to go back. Belfield did it cheaper, of course. He travelled second class. I heard of him as I came along. 
The expense does not matter to you, Mr. Cheesacre. To this he assented, and then took his leave, at first offering his hand to Mrs. Greenow with an air of offended dignity, but falling back almost into humility during the performance of his adieu. Before he was gone, he had invited her to bring the captain to Oilymead when she was married. He had begged her to tell Mrs. Vavasor how happy he should be to receive her. And for Mr. Cheesacre, said the widow, as he walked back along the road, don't forget, dear Charlie Fairstairs. They were all standing on the front door of the house when Mrs. Greenow reappeared. Alice, Kate, Captain Belfield, the Shap boy, and the Shap horse and gig. Where is he? Kate asked in a low voice, and everyone there felt how important was the question. He has gone, said the widow. Belfield was so relieved that he could not restrain his joy, but took off his little straw hat and threw it up in the air. Kate's satisfaction was almost as intense. I'm so glad, she said. What on earth should we have done with him? I was never so disappointed in my life, said Alice. I have heard so much of Mr. Cheesacre, but have never seen him. Kate suggested that she should get into the gig and drive after him. He ain't a bin and took hisself off, suggested the boy, whose face became very dismal as the terrible idea struck him. But with juvenile craft he put his hand on the carpet-bag, and finding that it did not contain stones, was comforted. You drive after him, young gentleman, and you'll find him on the road to Shap, said Mrs. Greenow. Mind you, give him my love, and said the captain in his glee, and say I hope he he'll get his turnips in well. This little episode went far to break the day, and did more than anything else could have done to put Mr. Belfield at his ease. It created a little joint stock fund of merriment between the whole party, which was very much needed. The absence of such joint stock fund is always felt when a small party is thrown together without such assistance. Some bond is necessary on these occasions, and no other bond is so easy or pleasant. Now when the captain found himself alone for a quarter with an hour with Alice, he had plenty of subjects for small talk. Yes, indeed, old Cheesacre, in spite of his absurdities, is not a bad sort of fellow at bottom. Awfully fond of his money, you know, Miss Favisor, and always boasting about it. That's not pleasant, said Alice. No, the most unpleasant thing in the world. There's nothing I hate so much, Mrs. Vavasor, as that kind of talking. My idea is this. When a man has lots of money, let him make the best use he can of it, and say nothing about it. Nobody ever heard me talking about my money. He knew that Alice knew that he was a pauper, but nevertheless he had the satisfaction of speaking of himself as though he were not a pauper. In this way the afternoon went very pleasantly. For an hour before dinner Captain Belfield was had into the drawing-room, and was talked to by his widow on the matters of business but he had, of course, known that this was necessary. She scolded him soundly about those sheriff's orders. Why had he not told her? As long as there's anything kept back, I won't have you, she said. I won't become your wife, till I'm quite sure there's not a penny owing that is not shown on this list. And then I think he did tell her all, or nearly all. When all was counted, it was not so very much. Three or four hundred pounds would make him a new man, and what was such a sum as that to his wealthy widow. Indeed, for a woman wanting a husband of that sort, Captain Belfield was a safer venture than would be a man of higher standing among his creditors. It is true Belfield might have been a forger, or a thief, or a returned convict, but then his debts could not have been large. 
let him have done his best he could have not obtained credit for a thousand pounds whereas no one could tell the liabilities of a gentleman of high standing burgo fitzgerald was a gentleman of high standing and his creditors would have swallowed up every shilling that mrs greenow possessed but with captain belfield she was comparatively safe upon the whole i think that she was lucky in her choice or perhaps i might more truly say that she had chosen with prudence he was no forger or thief in the ordinary sense of the word nor was he a returned convict he was simply an idle scamp who had hung about the world for forty years done nothing without principle shameless accustomed to eating dirty puddings and to be kicked morally kicked by men such as cheesacre but he was moderate in his greediness and possessed of a certain appreciation of the comfort of a daily dinner which might possibly suffice to keep him from straying very wide as long as he intended wife should be able to keep the purse-strings altogether in her own hands therefore i say that miss greenow had been lucky in her choice and not altogether without prudence i think of taking this house said she and of living here what in westmoreland said the captain with something of dismay in his tone what on earth would he do with himself all his life in that gloomy place yes in westmoreland why not in westmoreland as well as anywhere else if you don't like westmoreland it's not too late yet you know in answer to this poor captain was obliged to declare that he had no objection whatsoever to westmoreland i'd been t talking to my niece about it continued mrs greenow and i find that such an arrangement can be made very conveniently the property is left between her and her uncle the father of my other niece and neither of them want to live here but won't you be rather dull my dear we could go to yarmouth you know in the autumn then the captain's visage became somewhat bright again and perhaps if you are not extravagant we could manage a month or so in london during the winter just to see the plays and do a little shopping then the captain's face became very bright that will be delightful he said and as for being dull said the widow when people grow old they must be dull dancing can't go on for ever in answer to this the widow's captain assured the widow that she was not at all old and now on this occasion that ceremony came off successfully which had been interrupted on the shop road by the noise of mr cheesacre's wheels there goes my cap she said what a goose you are what will jeanette say father jeanette said the captain in his bliss she can do another cap and many more won't be wanted then i think the ceremony was repeated upon the whole the captain's visit was satisfactory at any rate to the captain everything was settled he was to go away on saturday morning and remain in lodgings at penrith till the wedding which they agreed to have celebrated at vavasor church kate promised to be the solitary bridesmaid there was some talk of sending for charlie fairstairs but the idea was abandoned we'll have her afterwards said the widow to kate when you are gone and we shall want her more and i'll get cheesacre here and make him marry her there's no good in paying for two journeys the captain was to be allowed to come over from penrith twice a week previous to his marriage or perhaps i might more fairly say that he was commanded to do so i wonder how he felt when mrs greenow gave him his first five-pound note and told him that he must make it do for a fortnight whether it was all for joy or whether there was about his heart any touch of manly regret 
Captain Belfield of Vavasor Hall, Westmoreland. It doesn't sound badly, he said to himself as he traveled away on his first journey to Penrith. End of chapter 65 Recording by Vincent Tapia